y'all, and welcome to the Feasting on Truth podcast. I'm Erin Warren, and we are studying the book of Romans together in our study called By His Grace for His Glory. I am so glad that you are here. If you want to get some more information about this study, you can go to feastingontruth.com slash Bible study. There you can find information not only about By His Grace for His Glory, but all the other studies that we have available through Feasting on Truth, as well as my new book, Feasting on Truth, Savor the Life-Giving Word of God. It's definitely a great place to start if you are new to Bible study or you have questions about what inductive Bible study is. It's a book that is designed to help you overcome obstacles that hold you back when studying the Bible and walk you through how to find life-giving truths in God's Word. This week, we continue through the final section of the book of Romans with Romans chapter 13. I can hardly believe that we are getting ready to wind down this study. Paul is continuing his practical advice for how we live out the truths from Romans 1 through 11, and he implores us again with this idea that how we treat each other matters. Here's Romans chapter 13. Hey y'all, welcome to officially week 15 of our study by his grace for his glory. We are in our final section of the book of Romans. So before we get started, let me pray. Father, I just thank you for your word and I thank you for um, the opportunity to come before it, um, to study it, to see you, to ask the right questions, Lord. I just pray that you would infuse our time, Lord, that it would be a... um, focused on you. Lord, I just pray that you will watch over my words, Lord, that they would bring your truth, Lord, that they would um, be edifying, Lord, that they would bring glory to you. I pray, Lord, that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand, Lord, what it is that you have for us in Romans chapter 13. And it is in your name I pray. Amen. We each week are starting with our context because context is so important in the book of Romans. And I want to remind us where we have been over the last um, 14 weeks because I want us to, um, it's really important that we do not separate out what Paul has kind of laid out. And especially when we are studying a book of the Bible that is this long over this long of a period of time, um, we want to make sure that we are remembering the context, especially, especially, especially when we get to this um, part of scripture that is about practical advice. We want to make sure that we are not slipping into a works-based faith where we um, forget the reason why we get to do everything and just focus on everything we need to do. So um, we'll start again reminding us that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome um, to help bring unity between two clashing ethnic diversities, um, two diverse ethnicities, saying that backwards, Um, the Jews and the Gentiles, if you'll remember the Jewish believers and the Jewish non-believers had all been expelled from Rome years earlier. And then after the death of Emperor Claudius came back to a Gentile church. And so um, kind of working through some of these things. So Paul's writing to really reset the foundation. Um, And he starts with this idea that we're all common in sin. The first four chapters 
um, are the section where Paul's kind of laying out that foundation that we all need a savior and that God is the only one who is righteous. There is no unrighteous apart from him. The first two and a half chapters, honestly, they're really hard to read because it is just sin after sin after sin after sin. And it paints this really um, dismal picture. And honestly, y'all, sometimes I think we need to come face to face with that, that this is who we are without Christ. Um, again, he was not necessarily addressing specific sins within the Roman church, but kind of this picture of where we would be if Jesus had not come. And um, he moves in chapter three, we see those words, but now this beautiful shift that now not only are we common in our sin, we're common in our salvation. And then in chapter four, he uses Abraham as an example of how we are saved by faith alone. And he points back to how Abraham was counted righteous before he was circumcised and pointing to this idea that it is about faith, not about works. Um, in the second section, Romans um, five through eight, focus on the life we now experience, the life we have because of Jesus. This is on this side of the cross, this is what we get to experience. He talks about how we were at war with God. We were enemies with God, and yet he still came and died for us. And because of that, we now have peace with God. We have um, hope and purpose in our suffering. Um, we were dead, but now we are alive. And even though we still struggle with our sin, that's chapter 7, um, we move into chapter eight, we are more than conquerors. We have the Holy Spirit who is in us and um, guiding us and working um, his purposes out and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The third section, Romans nine through 11, he kind of connects the old and new Testament and shows how God is creating this beautiful multi-ethnic family. Um, it's no longer about being born a Jew. It doesn't matter your lineage. And in Romans 9, he kind of shows how um, just because you were born in the line of Abraham didn't mean that you were in the line of promise. Um, he revisits the promises and the history of Israel to show that we are saved by faith alone. Um, in Romans 10, he explains that God is still faithful. He has still kept his promise to the nation of Israel. And he uses several Old Testament passages to remind us that the word is near, that we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved. But uh, Israel has tried to establish their own way. Um, in Romans 11, we have this beautiful picture of the olive tree and the grafting in um, how God is creating this multi-ethnic family that requires faith for salvation. And that is his grace to us. Um, we cannot choose our own way and call God unfaithful. That was something that really stuck out with me in Romans chapter 11. He is faithful always. We need to submit to his ways through faith in Jesus Christ and accept the grace, the gift of grace that he offers. And so last week we moved into this final section, which is kind of answering the what now, what do we do in light of what we um, have learned in Romans one through 11? How do we respond practically? Um, and so this last section is about the practical advice of what it looks like to be part of God's multi-ethnic family. Um, and he's going to continue with that in Romans 12 last week. 
um, we saw how Paul was encouraging his brothers and sisters in Christ to be sanctified and with humility to live in love and service to one another. With God's grace, we can be united even in our diversity and live peaceably with all. We all have a role to play and a part to play in this beautiful multi-ethnic family of God. And so Paul, um, last week we ended with this paranesis, this um, long kind of what seems like a moral exhortations that are disconnected, but they all have this theme of how we treat each other matters. Um, and he's going to continue that as we move into Romans 13. So again, I want us to keep that lens of unity in diversity. Um, and I want us to remember, we cannot separate this out um, from the first 11 chapters of the book. All that we are able to do, he's calling us to do, we only can do because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that is at work within us. So with that, let's get to Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Um, everything in this section hinges on the fact that God has ultimate um, and complete authority over heaven and earth. And um, we have seen Paul kind of establishing that throughout the entire book, but it's important for us to understand that first before he moves into this section where he is calling us toward honor and respect and paying due what is due. Um, I want us to start, we had a couple of um, definitions in your book. And so I wanna kind of define those first before we really get into the nitty gritty of this. Um, the first word was authority, and Merriam-Webster defines that as persons in command, um, power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. So think of authority as the one who gets to decide um, what is going to happen and has the influence, the power to influence thought, behavior through their authority. Um, God has the ultimate authority. And so because of that, he has the, the power um, to influence the way we should behave, the way we should think, and the way um, and the power to command um, us to behave in a certain way. Um, and he, in his authority, calls us here to submit to our government. So the word submit is not a word that we always love, um, but Miriam Webster says to yield to governance or authority. I love the Greek word is a combination of two words that literally means to arrange under. So um, it's the idea of placing under or obeying. Now here's what's really um, important for us is that the verb in the um, the submission verb is an 
active verb. It's not passive. So it's not something that is done to you. Um, that's what a passive verb would do. Um, an active verb means it's an action that you take yourself. And so we have to yield. We have to submit um, first and foremost to God's authority and then to the authorities in which he has placed over us. And that doesn't even, um, that's not just even within government. You think about um when you're little as a child, we have a call to submit to um, the authority of our um, parents. We have a um, call to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We sometimes kind of skip over that one in Ephesians 5. Um, wives submitting to husbands. Um, There's so many places in scripture and so many relationships of authority where we talk about submission. And it's not a popular topic because we live in a society and we um, are, are inherently selfish beings. And so it's, I will say this is an area where God has had to work on me quite a bit that I would be willing to submit um, but here's what I want us to know, because I feel like this particular passage, um, this and the next section as well, are both often pulled out of the context of what um, Paul is the the cultural context in which Paul is writing this and they are weaponized. They are used as verses to control and um, behavior. In, in ways that are not godly. And so um, this is not all rulers are God over you. This is not an excuse for evil or abuse or sin. This is not saying that if your government asks you to do something against God's authority, such as bowing down to other gods, that you should do it. Um, the cultural context of this, and if you'll think back to, um, as we have kind of talked about the fact that Jesus was a radical Messiah. He was different than what they expected because they were expecting an earthly king to come in and overthrow Rome. Um, the Jewish people wanted independence. Um, and in fact, in the coming years, in 66 AD, again in 132 AD, there are going to be Jewish rebellions against the Roman government. There are going to be wars that end up being costly to them. Um, in one of them, they the temple is destroyed. And so they become um, costly rebellions. The general idea is that the governments are, are institutions that are helped to create justice and order for society. Um, the, HS, um, the HSBC um, study Bible says that unwarranted rebellion against government is de facto rebellion against God. So that kind of helps us understand. They're saying unwarranted rebellion against the government is also rebellion against God. Um, the HSBC um, study Bible for women to resist authority of those ruling legitimately is to rebel against God's command. So I think both of those kind of help us understand the context in which Paul is writing this. Um, Yes, the landscape of the Roman government is about to change drastically in a few years, about a decade after this is written, um, as Nero, who is who is the ruler right now in Rome. And yes, the Roman government was not perfect. Remember, we have established that God, only God is the righteous judge. Um, they had some things within there, but there was a feeling and a sense of God is my God and it is his law that I follow. And so I don't need to follow the laws around me. And so he's saying, no, you do need to pay your taxes. You do need to um, give honor and respect where honor and respect are due. And even more so, 
again, he's continuing this idea of how we treat each other matters, um, not only for our own good, for our own sake, but y'all, for the sake of the glory of God. Um, we have seen time and time again throughout our study here and through other studies that we've done about how the Jewish people profane the name of God among the people, among the nations, um, because they misrepresented who God was. And so when we behave in a way that is in um, that is in opposition to what God has called us to do, we are defaming the name of God in front of the nations. And so we need to remember that we are doing this for God's glory. Um, for us today, you know, he's, he kind of says, he's like, don't cheat people. Don't cheat the government. Even Jesus in Matthew says to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We do what is required of us to, as we are in submission to the government um, above us. And for us, that doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter if we agree with all of their policies um, or, or alignments. We have a call to stand out as believers in Jesus and representatives of his glory here on earth to conduct ourselves in a way that is honoring to the authorities and therefore honoring to God. Agreement is not required for honor and respect. And so that is what he is calling us here. Um, and then he continues, oh, no one anything, this is verse eight, except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So again, this is um, in the context of creating the unity within the church in Rome and within the body of Christ. He is saying, listen, it doesn't matter the law or the freedom in Christ. You know, he's, he's kind of speaking to both sides. Both of them, the law is fulfilled in these commands of loving your neighbor as yourself. We see Jesus say that as well, that um, you know, the first commandment is that you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but I want us to, um, this is another one that I feel like sometimes gets taken out of context um, because we have a skewed definition of what loving our neighbor looks like. And um, we need to remember that we need to allow God to define what love is, not um, what the world tells us love is. Um, this is not love means you overlook all my sin. This is not love means that I can abuse you and you have to forgive me. Um, love does not mean that I agree with you. Love does not um, mean that I affirm all of your choices or all of the ways. Um, our world tells us that love means agreeing with, tolerating um, everything about each other. However, that is not what love is. Now, I feel like this is something that um, even in Christian circles, we struggle to understand what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And very often when we are talking about love, we jump right to 1 Corinthians 13. And y'all, I'll be honest, it gives me a little bit of a panic attack because this is a very high standard to live up to. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Um, and again, that one also sometimes gets taken out of context and weaponized as a way to control and manipulate behavior. But um, 
I love, and in your homework this week, we went back to Leviticus 19, um, 9 through 18, and this is the law of loving your neighbor. And so I'm going to break this down with you because I feel like this gives us very tangible um, and, and things that are easy to grasp of what it means in defining what it means to love your neighbor. Um, so verse nine, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest and you shall not strip your vineyards bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. This is about generosity with one another. This is about meeting the needs and caring for the poor and the widow and the sojourner. This was a way that God um, put within the law that helped provide for the needy. He's saying, when you um, harvest your fields, when you harvest um, the grapes of your vineyard, don't go all the way to the edge and don't go back behind and pick up all the pieces that were left behind. Leave those so that those who are poor and or the widows, and we see this in the book of Ruth when Ruth goes and gleans in the fields behind Boaz's men. Um, it is a way that God provided for the people. It's a way for us to have margin in our, it's a call to have margin um, where we are not taking everything and holding it so tightly and, and giving every dollar that we make and every resource that we have and holding it to something that is going to bring profit to us, but that we are being generous with those around us and providing and meeting needs for those around us, um, the poor, the widows, the sojourners. Um, verse 11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to another. Loving your neighbor means you don't steal from them. It means you don't cheat them. And it means you don't lie to them. Um, and sometimes I get a little bit on a soapbox about the lying thing, because I think so often we think um, little white lies here or there um, are, are things that we're like, it's okay, it's okay. Um, there are only a very tiny handful of spaces within scripture where we see lying that is, um, that is, that is not, um, that is not, that is approved by God. We see lying that is approved by God. Um, and one of those is with the midwives in the um, beginning of Exodus, when they lie about saving the Hebrew baby boys. Um, and so that is a God honoring time when you lie, that it is preserving the life of those that he loves um, and those that he has called. And um, But in general, y'all, there is no stipulation for lying. There is no lie where he says, oh, it's okay if you lie about this. Like we are called, don't lie to people. Don't cheat people. Don't steal from people. And we saw this in um, this Romans passage too. Give honor where honor is due. Uh, give taxes where taxes are owed. Pay people what they are um, paid. And that's what we're going to um, see here in just another minute. Um, verse 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. Y'all. This one is heavy to me. And I think this is one that sometimes we don't even recognize we do. Um, but it was what I was just saying about defaming the name of God. Don't misuse and don't misrepresent who God is. Um, it is written in the commandments. He takes his name very seriously. And that's why I'm so passionate about character 
driven, um, character of God driven Bible study, God centered Bible study, because we need to first and foremost have an understanding of who God is so that we are giving glory into him in a way that is in alignment with who he is. Um, I think sometimes in, even in our well-meaning ways, um, I've talked about that idea where we'll say, God is faithful, you know, when something really good happens on earth, but that's not God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is that he keeps his promises and he does not promise good things here on earth. Those are gifts and those are blessings. They are generosity. They are his sovereignty, but they're not his faithfulness. And so we need to make sure that we have a good grasp and understanding of who he is so that we are not um, defa defaming his name among the nations. Um, and we need to deal with people when we say we're a Christian and then we don't treat people with kindness and respect um, in our workplaces, when we um, say that we're a Christian and then we cheat people or we deal falsely with people, we are misrepresenting who God is. And so it's a very heavy thing um, that we need to make sure that we are not swearing by his name falsely, and so profaning the name of God. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. That Hebrew word defraud, it means don't take advantage of people. Um, he's the law here is saying like loving your neighbor means you don't hold back what is due to them. You pay them what they are supposed to be paid and you pay them on time. Um, you don't withhold it till morning. Treat your employees with kindness. Treat your coworkers with kindness. Um, give them what they are owed. Verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Loving your neighbor means that you don't curse even before the ones who cannot hear and you don't lead others astray, especially those who do not see because God is omniscient. He knows and sees all. He is the righteous judge. Ellicott's commentary, um, explains this really well. He says, deafness and blindness may prevent the sufferers from detecting the offender and bringing him to justice before an earthly tribunal. But God on high hears it when the human ear is stopped up and he sees it when the human eye is extinct. Hence the prohibition against injustice to the infirm and the poor is enforced by an appeal to fear for God. We need to remember that God sees and, and hears all. And so we should fear him. And in doing so, loving our neighbor means that we don't take advantage even when people um, can't see and even when people can't hear, that we are being honoring and um, having um, respect for others in the way that we deal with them. That is what loving our neighbor is. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. He's saying, don't give preference based on circumstances. Um, don't give more to someone who can give more to you. Don't allow someone um, to get by just because of the situation that they are in. Um, 
but by righteousness, that is God's standard of righteousness, is how we judge one another. Um, verse 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. The Greek word, um, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word here, I said Greek word earlier too. I meant Hebrew word, y'all. The Hebrew word <laughs> slanderer, um, it means talebearer or informer. Don't um, gossip. Don't spread stories. Um, I um, recently, um, a friend had con confided me in, in something that had happened. And then another person had come to me and said, oh, I heard blah, blah, blah. And I knew the truth of the story because my friend had confided in me. And um, I did, there were one or two elements of the story that I wanted to to speak truth to because I didn't want the gossip to continue in those areas. But my response overall was, that's not my story to tell. Gossip is not just talking about people's back and spreading um, tales or spreading information that may or may not be true. Gossip is also is not talking about stories that are not our stories to tell. If someone has chosen not to tell that story and someone else comes to us, part of not gossiping is also not continuing the, the story and, and not being the informant of that story. Loving our neighbor means that we hold our tongue. Um, loving our neighbor means that we don't endanger our neighbor. We don't put um, our, our neighbor's life in danger. Um, Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The uh, Hebrew word reason, frankly, it means to directly rebuke. Don't hold on to sin in your heart. Don't go around behind your back, their back discussing their sin. Um, but loving your neighbor is going to them and being frank to being direct. We do this in love. Y'all, I think one of the ways that we have um, mis kind of twisted that is that when we do go to people to, to talk about sin, and this is believer to believer, this is not in the world. We, y'all, um, the world, we should expect them to sin because they have no standard by which to live. But within our family, and that's what he says here, your own people within the family of Christ, when we go to people, um, yes, love, but I think honestly, the piece that we often miss is we go to them in grief. It should grieve us. Sin should grieve us. And so there's a humility and a grief with which we come to one another. Talk through this. Don't hold a grudge. Don't take revenge. Um, we saw that last week in Romans 12 too. It's easier to listen to someone when we know that they have our best interest at heart, when we are loving our neighbors ourselves. And so those are concrete ways in which we can think of what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we are doing those things, we are fulfilling the law. And notice the repetition here. I am the Lord. Y'all, God is the supreme authority over us. These are all things that he has commanded. They are all things that are true and we should follow them. And Paul, back to Romans 13, tells us in verse 11 that it is time to wake up. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. 
the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its sinful desires. Um, culturally, parties and orgies, they were held at night. And most often, it was not something that was flaunted or advertised. There was this idea of the darkness being the cover of sin and this um, this idea that stepping into light, um, bring light shed, light tells the truth. So when you're in the dark, um, and think about it as a child, when you are um, in the dark, there are, there are things that you see forms or you see, um, there's a cover that you can't quite see what's in front of you. But when there is light, there is truth. You can see what is in front of you. And so um, this to me echoes Romans chapter six. We were dead, but now we're alive. Um, this is a call for us to no longer be under sin, under the cover of darkness. Um, remember chapter six, this, these were the fruit of being under sin that we were instruments of unrighteousness. We were under the law, that it led to death, that it led to impurity, that sin led to more sin. Remember that we had that heaping of sin on top of sin. There was no fruit. It brings shame. And the wages of which we deserve is death. But in Christ, y'all, we are not, um, we are no longer dead. We are no longer in darkness. We are in his light. So in Christ, we are an instrument for righteousness. We are under grace. We have obedience that leads to righteousness. It leads to that sanctification process. We have freedom from sin. There is fruit in our lives. And ultimately, we have the gift of eternal life that we did not earn. Y'all, I love verse 12 in chapter 13. The night is far gone. Y'all, this is not a, hey, it's dusk and it's kind of like there's some daylight, but you're kind of still in darkness. No, it's not just gone. Y'all, the darkness is far gone. And we should not continue to be in darkness. Um, we had that Matthew Henry quote in Romans that really talked about how um, one cannot be dead and alive. And we are a fool if we think that we can live unto death and be in light. And so in the same way, we are a fool if we think we are living in light while still carrying out works of darkness. And so Paul urges us, cast off the works of darkness because we are not children of darkness anymore. We are not under the flesh. We are not under sin. We are in his light. One of my favorite verses that talks about this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 8. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And we see that same kind of idea here that we saw in Romans 13. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
salvation. We are alive. We belong to God. We belong to the light. We are his adopted children. So let's act like it. Let's not make any provision. Let's not leave any space for us to be controlled by our flesh, but to put on Jesus. Um, this is a contrast. So we have that idea of casting off darkness and putting on Jesus. Um, it is the similar language, like putting on clothes. So think when you get up in the morning, you put on your clothes, you put on the covering of your clothes to go out into the world. And so the same way we put on the covering of Jesus, um, the language here in Romans 13 that Paul uses is very similar to the Greek version of the Old Testament um, referencing being clothed in the spirit, um, Judges 6.34, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, Second Chronicles 24.20, then the spirit of God clothed Zechariah. So there is this, um, this picture of what it looks like to put on Jesus, to daily um, cover ourselves with him. Um, my, um, um, I want us to remember all of this that we have talked about. Again, we cannot separate from the beginning of Romans. Um, we are incapable of doing all of this on our own. Without Jesus, we are left in the first two and a half chapters of Romans. However, Jesus came and it is only through his sacrifice, through the gift of the Holy Spirit and us putting our faith in him that we are able to do any of this. Um, my friend Stephanie um, said it this way. She's like, Jesus came to fulfill the law, which Paul has just established encompasses love. So putting on Jesus is putting on love. And now is the time for us to be alert. Y'all, our enemy is prowling like a lion, ready to steal, kill, and destroy. But we can put on Jesus. We can put on his armor um, to protect ourselves, yes, from the enemy, but to fight back with truth that we... Um, we need to, if we want to, um, to do this, we need to get out of our own way because y'all, the Holy Spirit is in us. That is his job. He is there to guide us, to teach us, to convict us of our sin. Um, we need to submit to his authority in us and come face to face with his character. Every time I remember who Jesus is, it helps me, um, remember of how unworthy I am and how grateful I am for what he's done. And it makes me want to follow in obedience. We've talked about that, how obedience is not an obligation. And if we separate Romans 12 through 15 from Romans 1 through 11, we get an obligation of obedience. However, if we connect them back together, we remember that all of this is an overflow. Our obedience is an overflow of gratitude of what he has done for us. And so when I remember what Jesus' death bought for me, where I was without him versus where I am now and what I have in him, the overflow of my life is going to be walking in obedience of what it looks like, um, not only in my relationship with him, but in my relationship with others. So I want to be more generous when I recognize that all I have is his anyway. I stop hoarding for myself. I love that picture that we saw in Leviticus of, of going all the way to the edge of the field. He's saying, you hold back just a little bit. Um, I stop hoarding and living in the scarcity mindset because he is so, so generous with me. He owns it all. And so I can steward that well in trust because he is the God 
who has been generous and provided for me. I don't want to lie or cheat or steal because I know my father has never lied to me. He has never cheated me. God has never stolen from me because he owns it anyway. Um, I don't want anyone to think ill of God because of the way that I dealt with them. I do not want to profane his great name. I want to treat people with kindness and honor and respect, not withholding, not taking advantage because God has been so kind with me. He held, has not held back from me. Um, I want to fight for justice and stand for peace. I want to clothe myself in love because he has done all of this for me and he did it for me when I was still his enemy. He provided the way for me to come near. He gave us his spirit. And so I want to get out of my own way so that the spirit can continue to guide me and teach me and convict me and help me and counsel and be my advocate and walk alongside and intercede. Y'all, it is a daily act of surrender. For me, sometimes it's, it's a simple prayer of this is the day that the Lord has made, reminding myself that it is his day. He has authority over the day and that I will rejoice and be glad in it. And that I will walk around with the margin for eyes that will see where he is calling me to love my neighbor and to see his character at work in my life because he is Yahweh. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That was one of my favorite names of God that we saw this week, um, that he is sovereign over all the earth. He has all authority in heaven and the earth is his. Um, he is kind and he steadfastly loves us with a covenant, loyal love. He is trustworthy, completely true. He is righteous. He has not lied to us. He has not cheated us. He is the light of the world. He has ultimate authority. He is our savior and our guide. And y'all, his light cannot be overcome by darkness. And that means that you cannot be overcome by his darkness either. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that all of this you call us to, you do not call us to separate from who you are in us. Lord, I just pray that we would be willing to get out of our own ways, to let your spirit work in us, drawing us toward you, sanctifying us, um, helping us remove the impurity of sin from us. Lord, um, to remember that we are children of the light and to not allow the enemy's game of shame and guilt over us to hold us back, but Lord, that we would take firm and steady steps of obedience after you. Lord, I just pray that as we continue in our study through this section of Romans, Lord, that we would remember that it is only, only because of our faith in you and your strength in us that we are able to do any of this. Lord, let us not separate it out and slip into feeling the pressure of the weight of um, our own actions, um, Lord, and our own motivations, but that we would remember it is you in us and that we would just um, submit to your authority in us, Lord, that we would seek you first and foremost, and that we would trust you as we walk in your light. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. I 
really found the message that we see through Romans 12 and 13 challenging. This idea that how we treat each other's matters, not only because it's the right thing to do, but it is how we bring glory to God and it's how others see who He is. Y'all, I know it's heavy, like I said, and I know it's a lot of pressure, <laughs> but remember, I want us to hold on to the big truth from this week. We are children of the light. Y'all, the night is far, far, far gone. Uh, we talked about in Romans 8 about that idea of the overwhelming victory. This was not a close call. This was not a buzzer beater shot. This is an absolute um, decimation of the enemy. This is an absolute no question victory by Jesus. Y'all, his light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not and cannot overcome him. And because of that, the darkness will not and cannot overcome you either. I'll see you next week for Romans chapter 14.